The following is a conversation between Maya Winkelstein, Chief Executive Officer of Open Road Alliance, and Denver Frederick, the host of The Business of Giving. When I am seeking insight about risk and loans in the nonprofit world, the person I turn to is Maya Winkelstein, the Chief Executive Officer of Open Road Alliance, who is with us now. Welcome back to The Business of Giving, Maya. Thank you, Denver. It's great to be here. Start by providing us with a quick overview of the mission and goals of Open Road Alliance. Sure. Open Road Alliance is an impact-focused initiative. We were founded over eight years ago in order to address the reality that existed pre-COVID of organizations, whether for-profit or social enterprise nonprofits, who go on along their business, have an impact, and then something unexpected happens because the world is unpredictable and things derail us every day. And we were founded to help impact organization overcome these everyday obstacles and provide the fast grants and short-term bridge loans that they need to endure. So we have, for the last eight years, sort of been honing our work as the everyday emergency room of impact. I'm just guessing, Maya, but I suspect you've heard from a lot, a lot of people over the course of the past few weeks. Would that be the case? Absolutely. You know, we had been saying for a while, to give people a sense of what we do, that we are the everyday emergency room of impact. And to follow that analogy, our emergency room overfloweth the real ones out there. So we actually got our first COVID-related inquiry on March 10th. And since then, we've received over 300 inquiries for grants and loans. Mm -hmm. We very quickly noticed and realized that what we would be facing in terms of the impact that COVID and the public health response to COVID would have on the finances of impact organizations around the world, and not just here in the U.S., is basically the equivalent of a natural disaster. But it's as if an earthquake has just hit every single city and every single country simultaneously around the world. Yeah. And that's really what we're seeing in the fallout. So we've received several hundred inquiries in just the past few weeks. We actually, in the, within the first five days of that first email, uh, came together, completely shifted our criteria to be all 100% focused on COVID response. And yeah, they keep pouring in every day. Mm -hmm. One thing that might help you address that is that you recently launched the Open Road Impact Fund. I think you have a goal, a target of about $40 million. Those funds, perhaps short-term bridge loans for some of these nonprofits who are suffering from this economic disruption caused by the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. So pre-COVID, for eight years, we've had two funds with proprietary capital, our charitable grant fund and our short-term loan fund. About two years ago, we actually started laying the groundwork to raise and close this new fund, the Impact Fund, which would be our first vehicle to allow outside investors to co-invest alongside us, learn from us, and really expand this market of short-term emergency bridge financing, which was needed. Somebody thought that it would be funny, and actually someone somewhere has a sense of humor because the first round of this impact fund, which does have a target of $40 million, actually closed on March 13th. Mm -hmm. And that was a date that, of course, had been predetermined for several months. But yes, someone somewhere has a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. I know you've also been engaged in conversations with GIN, that's the Global Impact Investing Network, and many other impact investors. Share with us the nature of those conversations and the role impact investors can play in this crisis. 
Absolutely. So I mentioned that we, you know, had our first inquiry come in on March 10th, and I believe it was March 17th or thereabout that we hosted our first open public call for impact investors. One of the things that started to happen as those inquiries came in is they weren't actually just from entrepreneurs themselves, but they were from our friends and colleagues in the impact investing space. Mm -hmm. recognizing the moment and asking us for advice because they knew even if they didn't quite know what they needed to do yet that they would have to step up. So we very quickly pulled together a call first that we just sort of hosted ourselves and then uh, I think just three days later with the support and facilitation of Jin for the impact investing space to one, tell them what we were hearing because we were certainly one of the first, I think, to start hearing directly from entrepreneurs about what they were experiencing. Two, to share what we had done in the past, being built for emergency funding does require sort of a different set of processes, risk management processes, criteria, kind of tips and lessons learned for, you know, how do you triage? How do you triage if you have 100 inquiries come in in 10 days? How do you even get through that pipeline? So we have been really happy to kind of share our knowledge and learning as well as offer our own loan and grant solutions where it's a fit. Maya, do you think that this could be a moment for impact investing, particularly as a lot of people are talking about how we need to reimagine capitalism going forward? I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I think it is a moment for rebuilding. And one of the beautiful things about anything that forces you to rebuild means you have choice in how you rebuild. If the status quo gets broken, you now have a choice in what the new status quo is going to look like. So I agree with many others who have also shared this opinion that there is an opportunity for capitalism as a whole, and certainly the impact investing sector to step up and rebuild. I also think that it is a moment for the impact sector to really show their true colors. You know, where are we going to fall? Are we going to fall on the side of impact or are we going to fall on the side of protecting profits and protecting risk? Something that we have been seeing and saying to our peers is don't stop your pipeline. Don't freeze. If you're an equity investor, you can't stop. You can't stop right now. Slow down, sure. Don't open any new organizations or potential companies into your pipeline. But whatever is happening in these three months of the acute hit of COVID, if we completely stop the flow of money as a knee-jerk reaction to conserve and protect ourselves, we're going to see a bigger cliff in six and nine months when thousands of more enterprises and organizations who are expecting funding to come through, who are expecting a working line of credit, who are expecting to have that equity rate raise in Q3 or Q4, and it's really just gonna exacerbate the problem. So we don't have control over COVID, but we do have control over the decisions that we make now and how that is gonna have ripple effects in our sector six and nine months from now. Oh, I completely agree. And as I recall, it was impact investments that actually outperformed the market back in 2008. So it's not a bad investment for people to make at this juncture. Absolutely. In some, again, sort of twisted way, if you think about the services that impact investing is focused on, it is by definition focused on providing something that society needs and that was missing. And those needs, especially the core needs when you get to the base of the pyramid, food security, energy access, human rights, 
If anything, those needs are actually going to be exacerbated, not minimized. Uh, housing. In, they re you're absolutely housing. right. Housing. Exactly. Let's talk about risk in the nonprofit world, or perhaps more accurately phrased, the aversion of talking about risk in that sector. On your website, it says, the world is unpredictable. However, the philanthropic financial market is not structured to deal with the unexpected. Oh, that is so true. Open Road <laughs> Alliance has been a champion of risk management in philanthropy. Speak about the work that you've done there and whether you think that this pandemic will get leaders to think about it a little bit differently than they did before. Yes. See, the world is unpredictable. And I think another sort of phrase that we've started to say and think about as a complement to that is that impact is a journey, mm. right? So when you put those two things together, it's inevitable that on this journey, things are going to go wrong. Impact is going to get derailed. And that's where having the fast response is so important. But the other thing that that frame tells you is that you can prepare for journeys. We can be prepared. We don't actually have to be caught off guard every time. And that's where the risk management comes in. I mentioned we have received outreach from a number of our really close friends and peers in the space seeking advice on how to quickly set up their own emergency funds for their own grantees. And we're happy to provide that advice. I do hope that one of the changes that comes out of all of this is that those emergency protocols that were set up become permanent protocols. Because unfortunately, it might not be another pandemic, but when this is all over and we are living and comfortable with whatever the new normal is going to be, the unpredictability isn't going to go away. Things mm -hmm. are still going to go wrong. And we can't stop that. But if we are prepared, if it is built into our systems, we will be able to respond faster. We will be able to have greater resilience coming into it. And the effects of those unavoidable moments will still be less harmful overall. Mm -hmm. I recall from our last conversation that Open Road is an entirely virtual organization. So you're one of the very, very few people who can say that it has been pretty much business as usual. But seriously, being an old hand at this, what advice would you have for others who are just beginning this journey maybe some two, three weeks ago? Yes, exactly. As you said, again, someone has a sense of humor because it's like we were really are designed for this moment. One of the things I'd say about virtual work, you know, we have been a 100% remote team. We actually call it our 21st century work environment since day one. And that was a really deliberate decision. The advice I would give to folks who are new to this, I think there's a couple of pieces of advice that I've actually given over the years to organizations that are making the move to remote work. One, it's absolutely possible. And I think we've all sort of seen that in the last few weeks. But it isn't possible in the exact same way. So one of the things we've always built alongside our virtual work environment is a flexible work environment in terms of flex hours, when people are at work, when they're available, when they're not available. Because we recognize that if you're not leaving your home and going to an office, life happens. It happens on a daily basis. In fact, on several of these investor calls that I've had a couple of mm -hmm. times, my kids have run in um, behind <laughs> me and, and showed up on, on Zoom, which I know is not a unique experience for folks in this age. But there has to be give and take. Setting expectations and communication is really important. 
we don't have very strict, you must be sitting in front of your computer during these hours rules, but we do have very strict rules in terms of you've got to keep your calendar updated so we know when mm -hmm. you are and aren't there. You've got to set really clear expectations and communicate really clearly with your colleagues because we don't have the ability of swiveling around in your chair and saying, hey, by the way, do you have X, Y, and Z? And then the third thing, and this takes a little more time, but is building the culture that goes with that. So while we can't swivel around my chair, or if I can't walk into my office and knock on the door and say, hey, do you have a minute to chat? Still building the culture using technology and communications and a variety of communications. So yes, we use Zoom, but it's not just Zoom. We use instant chat, we use text, we use email, we use get on the phone, good old fashioned phone calls and building the culture and setting again the expectations of what form of communication is best for what type of information. So if you've got a quick question, that's gonna be an instant message, not an email. Mm -hmm. If we email back and forth three times on the same topic in 24 hours, that's a signal to pick up the phone and make it a phone call. Yeah, absolutely. What have you found to be the keys to being an effective leader in a crisis? And how do you see your leadership, Maya, maybe as well as other leaders in the sector, changing in this new world? It's something that I certainly personally have struggled with every day. And I think most leaders, if they're honest, have. This isn't something that anybody was prepared for. Certainly nobody was looking for. I think where I have come is coming back to really just some core values of leadership, being empathetic, being honest, being transparent with my team. And a lot of that these days has been saying, I don't know, and I'm not mm -hmm. sure. And I don't know what's gonna happen in the next two weeks. And kind of having a leadership version of that serenity prayer, if you will, of saying, here's what I know, here's what I don't know. And, you know, here's what we can control and what we can't control. And we're going to focus on the things we can't control. And this is how we're going to do it. Certainly, I think leadership by example, this is a time for that. We have been seeing that in our portfolio among our grantees and our borrowers in droves. You want a lesson on leadership in crisis? I would actually say, go look at the people who are still out there ensuring food security, ensuring kids are getting educated. They definitely have it a lot harder than I do. And and they're doing it really well. Yeah, and they're doing it on the fly. There's no question about it. Finally, Maya, what do you think the impact of COVID-19 is going to have on the sector? First, as it pertains to how philanthropic organizations are going to go about their giving, and then how nonprofits will have to operate and function in the future. I think on the first front, in terms of how is it going to change donor behavior and investor behavior, I hope that it changes behavior to be more embracing of risk, to be more embedded partners with the organizations that they choose to give to or invest in. And I also hope that it in some ways increases giving overall. <laughs> this moment where we are recognizing we are truly in this together. I mean, every geography, every social strata, every country, does not matter. The virus certainly doesn't care about any of those human-made lines between us. And I hope that that sense that we're all in this together and therefore we need to work together stays, and I think there's an opportunity for that. In terms of how nonprofits operate, 
You know, again, I think on the technical side, I certainly hope that this, again, helps nonprofits and their funders pay more attention to things like reserves and risk management and contingency planning and scenario planning and dry powder and, you know, all of those kind of practices that we talked about earlier, which can build resilience and reduce harm when the next thing comes around. But I also hope that for nonprofits, and I've seen some of this already, I also think, again, in that we're all in this together, there's a beautiful moment where nonprofits are collaborating and setting aside competition in ways that really wouldn't have been possible six weeks ago. And I think that's just wonderful. It's to be commended. And I do hope that part of the reset that this creates is us remembering that we're actually all on the same team. We're fighting the problems. We're fighting the food security and the homelessness and human rights and energy access and those problems we're trying to solve in the world. And in some ways, I think there's a wonderful opportunity for ego across the board to maybe take a slightly backseat moving forward. Yeah, I certainly hope you're right. That collaborative culture to see how it's working has been wonderful. And you just wonder if it will last when we return to normal, but let's hope it does. Some great insights. And I know how busy you are these days, Maya. And just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate your taking the time to share all this with us today. Thanks and stay well. Thank you, Denver. You too.